This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Fourth Quarter Chaos Podcast from the Fans First Sports Network. My name is Matt Tamanini, and I am joined by Corey Cohen. Corey, one weekend down in the college football season, no offense to Week Zero, but that doesn't count. What are your thoughts, having seen an entire weekend, and no, full disclosure, we have not yet seen the Clemson-Duke game, but that doesn't count, it's Clemson and Duke. Um, How are you feeling about everything going on in the first weekend of college football action in 2023? Well, I am just so happy that we have college football back in 2023. I love this sport. It's incredible. I'm so happy that we're going to be talking about it here on Fourth Quarter Chaos. It is, it's just so much fun. There's so much compelling entertainment every single weekend. I'm with you. Week zero doesn't really count. Week one is when it starts. I was so happy from Thursday through Sunday night to have college football on my television, just glued to the couch watching these games. I'm I'm thrilled. I I love college football so much. I'm so happy that it's back. You and I, I think, have a lot in common in terms of how we look at football. We are both predominantly college football fans. Enjoy the NFL, but not super glued in, passionate fans of any NFL team. But to me, like, everything about the sport of college football is what I want out of sports. One, it is a a sport where you can really invest in a team and in a program and in an institution of higher education, whether you went there or not. But also... It can be absolutely bonkers when you watch a Saturday afternoon because there are so many games going on across the college football landscape. At any point, something weird is happening, and that ties directly into the name of this show, Fourth Quarter Chaos. On this show, we're going to recap your entire weekend of college football action, but with a special eye on the most chaotic games, plays, storylines, whatever that happened over the weekend. How we're going to do this is we'll give you the scores and a little bit of insight on a number of games that we're going to focus specifically on 10 games. Sometimes those will be the biggest games of the weekend. Sometimes they will be some under the radar games that just happen to be absolutely bonkers. And because we like chaos, maybe sometimes we'll do more or less than 10 games because it's our show and we'll do whatever (laughs) we want. As we go through the show, as we talk about each of these 10 highlighted chaotic games, we are going to be assigning a chaos rating to that individual game. At the end of the show, we will tally up those ratings to give an overall weekly chaos rating to see just how insane the college football action was that weekend. Then we will keep track of those throughout the year, and by the time the season is done, we will have a definitive winner as to what the most chaotic weekend of college football is. So, Corey, not factoring in week zero and assuming that Clemson and Duke is not especially chaotic, without diving necessarily deep into the specific chaos ratings, in general, how did you feel this weekend was? Was it pretty standard what you would expect or was it absolutely butt fumble level insane and bonkers from start to finish this was i'm not gonna we'll we'll do a rating at the end this was a pretty 
average weekend for chaos. In my opinion, there were some really big games that were marquee matchups, not necessarily too chaotic. Florida State, LSU, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, Penn State, West Virginia, kind of, sort of. And then there were some games that were pretty crazy. Colorado TCU was absolutely thrilling back and forth. Minnesota, Nebraska came right down to the wire. There was a late game, Wyoming versus Texas Tech. So there was, and there were some big upsets on top of that as well. So I think this was, this was a solidly chaotic weekend of college football. It's not the best weekend that you're ever going to see. Likely not the best weekend of this upcoming season, but especially for a week one, that was one hell of a way to start. Yeah. When you get into week one, you expect the football not to be the top tier that you're going to get throughout the course of the season. You expect that teams are going to gel a little bit more. They're going to be a little bit more comfortable with things. They are going to get better. Sometimes that lack of cohesion can lead to a little bit more chaos. Sometimes it can kind of slow things down so they aren't clicking on as many cylinders, so they aren't able to execute as much chaos. So I feel like we got a little bit of both. But the game you mentioned First and foremost is the one that we're going to start with, and that is Colorado at number 17 TCU in Fort Worth, Texas. And this one was an absolute barn burner from start to finish over on another show here in the fans first sports network college football feed on Thursday. Jamie Urich and I gave a whole preview of the entire week on our no fall weddings podcast. Jamie, she said Colorado was going to upset TCU and I told her she was absolutely nuts. Wow. I should let everyone know that Jamie is never wrong and she is yeah. always right. And this this game not only lived up to Jamie's prediction, but it lived up to potentially any hype that it could have had going in. And Fox was fueling a lot of hype on this one, Corey. So there are so many stories coming out of this game. I'm going to run through the box score a little bit. Colorado did win 45 to 42 over TCU. Shador Sanders, who is Deion Sanders' son, is the quarterback for Colorado. He came with him from Jackson State, and he set a Colorado record with 510 passing yards on 38 of 47 passing with four touchdowns. He had an 81% completion rating and an over 200 quarterback rating. He was phenomenal. And Coach Prime, Corey, let people hear it after the game who questioned not only his team, not only him as a coach, but his son as well, coming from an FCS school to a Power 5 team and whether or not he could compete at this level. This was the best game of the weekend. It was absolutely incredible. On the field, off the field, the storylines, it was amazing. So Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, as he's called, goes to Colorado. I thought he should have gotten an even more high-profile job. I thought the Auburn job would have been perfect for him, but they don't offer it to him. He goes to Colorado, and this was a bad football team last year. And so everyone thought, okay, yeah, they'll be a bit better, and he threw out most of the roster, told them to transfer somewhere <laughs> else, brought in most of his guys. It was controversial, and there's all this hype. As you said, it was fueled by Fox and by fans and by Sanders himself. I mean, everything was going into this, and – I think on one hand, you wanted a lot of people. There were a lot of people who wanted Colorado and Dion to be humbled. Then on the other side, you had a lot of people who wanted Colorado and Dion to win and to prove everyone else wrong. And that's what they did. It was absolutely incredible with the the pressure on Dion Sanders, on his son Shador, on 
Travis Hunter, that they go to Colorado, they completely transform this team almost overnight, and they beat a team that was in the national championship just a few months ago. I know they lost a lot of players off that TCU team, but wow, what a dominant statement for Colorado. I did not see that coming. They were 21-point underdogs. The fact that not only did they make it close, but that they won, that they beat TCU off this incredible performance, specifically from those two, Shador Sanders and Travis Hunter, it was unreal. And the play itself, back and forth, it was like a heavyweight fight. Oh, it was incredible. We're going to talk about Travis Hunter here in a second, but what did you see from Shador Sanders? Like, obviously, the numbers were insane. TCU's defense, not as good as it was last year. Like, that's still an epic performance by a guy who many people just assumed was not to borrow a term from, you know, the entertainment world, but was a little bit of a Nepo baby. And, uh, (laughs) and I think he certainly shut up a lot of people. Is he going to be able to do that every week throughout the entire PAC 12 season? No, of course not. Is he a transcendent player like his father was? Uh, It remains to be seen, but coach prime is not only touting, Travis Hunter, who we're going to talk about in a second, but he's touting his son as not only Heisman contenders, but Heisman frontrunners as well. And again, it's only one week, but yeah, they looked really good. And not again, this is TCU. And yeah, again, they they lost a lot of players from last season, but this is still a very good football program. We'll see moving forward how they do this year. But they were in the national championship early in 2023. They should be one of the better teams in the Big 12 this year. They are a very good football program. And Colorado, especially the Colorado offense, made TCU look rough. Shador Sanders, absolutely incredible. It's tough because playing at Jackson State, it, it was unclear how good the competition was at in an FCS conference with FCS opponents. And yes, they were incredible at Jackson State, but we just didn't know. Now we've seen Shador Sanders against a Big 12 team in TCU, and he was incredible. I am excited now to watch Colorado games moving forward because going into this, yeah, it was kind of a fun gimmick and Coach Prime and all that, but I think everyone kind of figured that Colorado would be okay. They'd have four, five wins, something like that. They look like a really good team, and it's one game, it's early, but I'm definitely going to be watching Colorado next week and moving forward. Yeah, they're playing Nebraska this week, and we're going to talk about Nebraska's game because that was a bonkers, chaotic game in itself. But real quick note here, Shador Sanders had more yards in this game by himself. Again, 510 yards passing. Uh, He also had negative 32 yards rushing, but that was mostly sack adjusted. But he had more yards by himself than Colorado has had as a team in its last 29 games. That goes back to the season opener against UCLA in 2020. Their season high for yardage last year, 367 yards. In fairness, his 510 yards passing, they only had 55 yards rushing. So it's not like they had 700 yards uh, in total, but pretty incredible stuff. And that's not even getting into the Travis Hunter of it all. Travis Hunter, if you don't know who he is, he <laughs> plays both wide receiver and cornerback. He led the team in wide receiving yards. He had 11 receptions for 119 yards. He had a long of 43. He also had three tackles and an interception on defense. He played 129 snaps in over 100 degree Texas heat. He had an absolutely incredible game. And if 
I know this is a little bit difficult to rely on because pro football focuses NFL grades usually very reliable because they have people really watching and focusing on every game in college. It's a little bit more difficult. However, I will just say on both offense and defense, Travis Hunter graded out as the second best player on Colorado. He was only behind Shador Sanders on the offense, and he was only behind safety Trevor Woods on defense. So he was at a 75.3 offensive rating and an 84.8 defensive rating. We don't see this very often, Corey. We don't see guys playing both ways anymore. I'm an Ohio State alum, so like when I was in school and the national championship team in 2002, like I remember Chris Gamble went both ways, but we don't see this very often and certainly not at this level. For me, coming out of week one, he's the guy that I'm putting a Heisman on because I'm just kind of tired of it always being a quarterback. So if you're telling me a guy is performing like this on both sides of the ball, I can't imagine he's going to be able to just physically maintain this level of performance throughout an entire college football season just because of the wear and tear that it takes on your body. But man, that was fun to watch. Oh, it was incredible. Travis Hunter, another player who... He was this highly ranked recruit out of high school. He shocked everyone by committing to Jackson State. And again, people didn't know exactly what to expect because of the level of competition. Now he's at a power five conference, soon to be power four at uh, Colorado. And he comes in and my goodness, he was incredible. This is this has to be the golden age for two way players, because now baseballs had Shohei Otani crushing it, (laughs) not after the injury, but crushing it, both pitching and hitting. And now football, you've got Travis Hunter out there, both on offense and defense, not just playing both, but playing both at an exceptionally high level. It is incredible to see him play. It's like watching a unicorn and it's, you're right. If you're talking about Heisman right now, he's number one, because the thing with, Again, going back to baseball with Shohei Otani, anytime anyone mentioned him and the the playoff or the MVP race with any other player, it's, oh, well, what's that other player's uh, ERA? Because they don't do that, and this guy <laughs> does. Anytime anyone talks about Heisman, other quarterbacks, wide receivers, how many tackles does that person have? Because Travis Hunter had a bunch, and he had an interception. So right now, he is looking like the best and most exciting player in the country. I know it's early. I know it's hyperbolic. But in that game, it was thrilling to watch him in, as you said, brutal heat, rough humidity. The fact that he was able to do that was incredible. It was like watching, uh, turning back the clock and watching a player from, as you mentioned, from decades ago. This was so cool to see him out there. And I, I hope it continues. I really hope he stays healthy. The wear and tear isn't too bad and that he can keep this up because, man, it's fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Corey. Before we move on from Colorado TCU, what are your thoughts on the chaos meter here? We didn't really talk about the game flow of this one, but it was back and forth throughout the entire game. Other than Colorado scoring on a field goal at the end of the first half and then scoring again coming out of halftime and then TCU having a couple touchdowns back to back uh, in the third quarter. Every other score of that game, and there were a lot of them because there was, what is that, um, 87 points scored. Every other score was followed by another score, and they were all touchdowns except for the uh, the 49-yard field goal by Jace Feely at the end of the second quarter for Colorado. So this was back and forth throughout the entire game. Shador Sanders effectively ended it with 425 left when he threw a 46-yard touchdown pass to Dylan Edwards. So what is your chaos rating for Colorado and TCU? This game was amazing. As you mentioned, 
you just look at the the scoring in the second half. Colorado touchdown, TCU touchdown, TCU touchdown, Colorado touchdown, TCU touchdown, Colorado touchdown, TCU touchdown, Colorado touchdown. Absolutely incredible. I am going to go with a chaos rating of 92 out of 100. And I say 92 because that was the year that Deion Sanders made a World (laughs) Series appearance. Remember, he played football and baseball. Again, a two-sport athlete, a two-way guy. Now we're seeing that with Travis Hunter, both on offense and defense. I know it's a little high. I'm going to go with a 92. This game was so much fun. Yeah, I think we are totally fine going with a 92 on this one. That is a solid, depending on your scoring system, solid A-. We're not setting the bar too high that nothing can beat it, but it's a really good game. And I think the hype around this game and all of the excitement in the storyline certainly adds to that. All right, before we get into our next chaos game, let's run through some of the other scores. Number 14, Utah absolutely beat up on Florida, 24 to 11. And while that score doesn't look super big, you have to understand that Utah's quarterback, Cam Rising, was out of the game. Their number one wide receiver, out of the game. This was the first time that Florida went outside the state of Florida for a non-conference game since I think it was like 1988. I I don't remember the exact year, but absolutely insane. And Florida's got problems. They did not look great. Graham Mertz, the quarterback who transferred from Wisconsin, did have 330 yards passing, but it was not a pretty picture for the Gators. The other game on Thursday night that I want to mention is the fact that NC State beat UConn 24 to 14. But I will tell you, and you might know this being up in, in that part of the country, Corey, UConn's been bad for a very long time. Potentially like the worst college football program, at least at the FBS level, for many years. Watch out. They could be a bowl team this year. Their schedule's favorable. They hung with a a Power 5 NC State team who, again, it's not North Carolina or South Carolina, but pretty decent. So uh, just keep an eye on that one. Would not be surprised if they end up sneaking backwards into a bowl. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So on both those games, you mentioned Utah, Florida. I guess I could see why Florida doesn't leave their state because they they just got <laughs> drubbed in this one. Utah, it's they look really good. They were a great team last year. Cam rising when he's healthy. I think Utah is going to be great. Florida, second year for Billy Napier. It's taking its time. Florida's not uh, not a quick turnaround. And UConn, it helps, as you said, their schedule. They're an independent, and it's not too difficult. But UConn went from being a cupcake, an easy win, to they're going to give some teams some trouble. Yeah, Jim Mora Jr., if you didn't realize, Jim Mora Jr. is their head coach now. So somebody who comes with a lot of football experience. Uh, run through some games on Friday night real quick. Michigan State beat Central Michigan 31-7. to The Battle of Miami, Miami of Ohio and Miami, Florida. Unsurprisingly, Miami, Florida beat Miami of Ohio 38-3. to I was willing to say, really quick, I was willing to go with whoever wins that game is officially Miami. If Ohio yeah. won that game, that was going to be Miami. But yeah, Florida ran away. With yeah, no, not even close. Not even close. Um, Kansas beat Missouri State 48 to 17. And then in a game that, again, like Hawaii was really bad last year, but they played really well in week zero. And then in week one, they lost to Stanford 37 to 24. But again, decent outing. So I don't know if they're going to be able to pull off a, a bull bid like UConn is. But after after seeing how bad Hawaii was last season, 
Not bad. Interesting. I mean, I always like Hawaii to be good because staying up that late and watching that late night game is always fun. And I would prefer them to be competent so I can watch decent football that late at night. Will they be able to kind of turn it around and and knock off some wins in the, uh, in, the, in, the, I think in the Mountain West, right? They're in the Mountain West. And yeah. the Mountain West looks pretty good this year. Yeah. Hawaii also has a game at Oregon. So it's not going to be easy for them starting out here with losses at, at Vanderbilt and against Stanford. But as you said, it's great to see Hawaii when they are doing well. Who You can't not root for the Rainbow Warriors. And then for Stanford, they walk out of there with a win and not a bad way to, to kick things off. You get a trip to Hawaii. Yeah, I would certainly, certainly be willing for work to send me to Hawaii anytime that they want. I'd take it. All right. Well, we spent a lot of time on Colorado TCU. We'll try to run through the rest of these games a little bit more quickly. But on Sunday night, the game of the week, number five LSU versus number eight Florida State in Orlando, Florida, just 25-ish minutes from where I live. This one was not a, uh, all that close. The Bayou Bengals were up 17 to 14 at halftime. But after that, Jordan Travis and Florida State absolutely blew the doors off of LSU, and it wasn't even close. The Seminoles won 45-24, to running away. And to be honest with you, it shouldn't even have been that much because LSU scored a fairly irrelevant touchdown with a minute and 15 left in the game. Otherwise, it would have been 45-17. to To me, Corey, this... I actually, to be quite honest with you, I had both LSU and Florida State in my preseason college football playoff predictions. Interesting. But I had LSU as number two and Florida State as number three. I could be convinced to move Florida State to number one based just off of week one, not necessarily taking in all of the expectations for teams like Georgia and Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and Alabama. But like based on week one, Florida State looks like a pretty damn good football team. They look incredible. They were dominant in that game, especially in that second half. Early on, both teams, it was a really close game, and I kind of thought it would be that. Going into it, I thought that Florida State would win, but that it would be by three, four points, something like that. I thought it'd be a great game, and it was great, but for different reasons. It was great because Florida State put on a clinic in the second half. Jordan Travis looks legit. You talk about a Heisman contender and Travis Hunter. Mm -hmm. Jordan Travis right now looks like he is going to be heading to the Heisman ceremony in New York. He was incredible. And then the uh, the transfer, Keon Coleman. My goodness, he brought down mm -hmm. some exceptional catches. Keon Coleman, nine receptions, 122 yards, three touchdowns. That partnership between Jordan Travis to Keon Coleman is incredible. I am excited to see what they can do further down this season. But in what looked to be a heavyweight matchup going into it, and in the first half, Florida State ran away with it. If we do rankings at the end of this episode, which might be a little incomplete if we're doing a top 10 because Clemson, you yeah. know, they haven't played yet. But uh, if, we're, if we're ranking, Florida State very well could be number one just based on the degree of difficulty and what we've seen from them. They looked amazing. LSU, I know they've got a ton of talent but I'm not entirely sold on them. Brian Kelly, he he was successful at Notre Dame. I'm sure he'll be successful at LSU now in his second season. They did not look great. They did not look fully organized in this one. Without a doubt, Mike Norvell had the better uh, game plan, and Florida State looked amazing. Jordan Travis was 23 for 31, passing for 342 yards, four touchdowns. He did have one interception, but he also added – Seven rushes for 38 yards and a touchdown. You mentioned Keon Coleman, who is a transfer from Michigan State. He also played a little bit of basketball at Michigan State as well. Um, he had nine receptions for 122 yards and three touchdowns. Now, I will say, 
that Jaden Daniels, the starting quarterback for LSU, also had a pretty good game. He was 22 of 37 for 347 yards, only had one touchdown pass, also had an interception, but he also ran the ball 15 times for 64 yards. <laughs> the only bad thing about him rushing was at one point he... I guess, tried to leap over the offensive line only to be absolutely planted by a Florida State linebacker in what I was sure was going to get a flag just because it was a hard hit on a quarterback. But to their credit, the refs did not throw a flag on that. And uh, ABC's referee and rules analyst, I forget who it was, said, look, once he starts to run, he is no longer a quarterback. So he has not afforded the protections that a quarterback would normally get. But a great game especially if you're a Florida State fan. Lots of people around me down here in Florida were very excited about that one. Don't know if it was the most chaotic game, Corey, but uh, it was certainly an exciting one and one that I think will be very telling for the future of this 2023 college football season. So what are your thoughts in terms of a rating on this one? I am going to go with about a, a 33. I think it was pretty low in terms of chaos. The fact that Florida State went out there and did what they did in the second half, and again, the performance between Travis and Coleman, that was really impressive. I, I think not too many of us were expecting that, but for the most part, not too much chaos. Great heavyweight battle. I'll go like a 33. The other marquee matchup of the weekend was number 21, North Carolina and South Carolina playing in Charlotte, technically a neutral site game, but it, you know. It's Charlotte, North Carolina. There's a reason that uh, there was a lot more baby blue in the stands than whatever kind of maroon that the Gamecocks normally wear. This one was very similar to the LSU Florida State game where it was close at halftime. Uh, North Carolina led 17 to 14 at half, but kind of pulled away in the third quarter, scoring 14 points. They ended up winning 31 to 17. Drake May's numbers are going to be a little hampered because he had two interceptions. But he looked great, made some great throws. But the story of this game, Corey, is the North Carolina defense. They had 16 tackles for loss, including nine sacks on South Carolina quarterback uh, Spencer Rattler. I thought North Carolina was going to be good. I'm still not sure if they're great based off of South Carolina, because while they had a great ending to the 2022 season, they weren't exactly you know competing with Georgia in the SEC East last year, but North Carolina looked like the real deal. That offense was humming fairly well with Drake May making some incredible passes, but if you've got a defense that can have 16 TFLs, you're going to be in really good shape. North Carolina looks scary, and for those that don't know, I run Pit Talk Network talking all things Pit Panthers. North Carolina, for Pit fans, they have got to scare you because the Tar Heels look really good. Drake May, as you said, we knew he was going to be great this season. The defense looks incredible. They crushed South Carolina. Mentioned earlier the battle between Miami and Miami of Ohio, and the winner gets that, uh, that moniker. This is the Battle of Carolina, and now, because of this, if you say Carolina... You mean North Carolina because they <laughs> earned that right in this game. Uh, the defense looks amazing. They could be a contender. I know Florida State right now and then Clemson at the top of the ACC. But I think right behind them, you've got North Carolina, maybe Pitt also, that can really put on a great season and have a chance at making it to an ACC championship game, an outside chance at winning the ACC, crashing the playoff. North Carolina looked really good against the Gamecocks, and I'm excited to see what they do coming up. They've got App State. They've got Minnesota. They've got Pitt. Should be some really exciting games. But that North Carolina team, as you said, I think we all thought they'd be good. They look real good, Matt. 
Yeah, they only gave up a total of 11 rushing yards to South Carolina. But again, nine sacks. But sack adjusted, they only had 65 yards the Gamecocks did uh, on the ground. So really impressive defensive performance. Chaos rating on this one, though. Corey, what do you got here? Uh, I'll go even a little bit less than I'd go like a 30, about a 30. All right. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um, all right. Those were the marquee games. Let's run through some of the other scores that happened in uh, the college football. Number one, Georgia beat University of Tennessee Martin, UT Martin, not to be confused with national championship winning volunteer quarterback T Martin. Uh, but Georgia won 48 to seven. New starting quarterback Carson Beck threw for 294 yards. Number two, Michigan beat up on East Carolina 30 to three. Not necessarily the score you probably want when you're playing a team like East Carolina, but their hearts were heavy in Ann Arbor. They were mourning the absence of their beloved head coach, Jim Harbaugh. Before the game, they had a silent salute to their fallen leader. The offense lined up in a single file line and held up four fingers, which is the number that Jim Harbaugh wore in college. Really a heart, a heartwarming sign of love and tribute to their head coach, Corey, brought a tear to my eye, even as an Ohio State alum, that they would be willing to pay tribute to such an incredible man in these dark, dark days and hours. I know you're a bit biased for coming from the Ohio State side, but it is funny. I mean, did, should someone tell them that he's not dead or in a I hospital? I mean, what the hell are we doing? Like, seriously here? I mean, look. And it was I, a self-imposed ban also. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't think he was the one imposing the ban. I think he was pretty pissed about the, his school doing that. Look, I, the whole hamburger thing of it all is dumb. It's dumb. It's stupid. The NCA is uh, NCAA is ridiculous when it comes to these things. The lying to the investigators, like whatever. I mean, the whole thing is stupid. Uh, but it, like they're treating this like he is like somebody put on death row when he, when he was like in another state, like this is just dumb. Who cares? Move on. You're going to win these three games by like a hundred points. Anyway, it's not a big deal. Grow up, but yeah, that's Michigan the, mar- the martyrdom. Yeah. <laughs> that's Michigan. That's what Michigan does. Uh, anyway, my Ohio state Buckeyes beat Indiana 23 to three. Not exactly the way we wanted to see this season start. Kyle McCord, the starting quarterback for Ohio state coming on the heels of both Justin Fields and CJ Stroud went for 239 yards, no touchdown passes, one interception. Not great. Lots to work on there for Ohio state. Number four, Alabama beat middle Tennessee state 56 to seven new starting quarterback. There Jalen Milrow only had 194 yards passing, but that game was such a blowout, they got him out. Lots of other stuff going on there. The, the uh, Crimson Tide looks fine. USC bounced back a little bit in terms of their defense. They gave up a lot of points in Week 0, but here in Week 1, they beat Nevada 66-14. to Caleb Williams continued to do Caleb Williams things, 319 yards through the air. A guy I'm going to throw into the Heisman talk, obviously Caleb Williams is already there, but Washington, number 10 Washington, beat Boise State 56-19, to Michael Penix Jr., former Indiana quarterback, had 450 yards passing. He was absolutely incredible in that game. If you didn't get a chance to watch that one, you really should take a look at the highlights because he was lights out there. In addition, so he had 450 yards passing, five touchdowns, and just an absolutely incredible game for him. Keep an eye on him in terms of the uh, the Heisman watch there, Corey. Yeah, don't don't let yourself be surprised by the Penix. No. <laughs> So many puns, so many puns. I apologize. No, 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 you're good. You're good. All right, 
So let's go to a game that I did not get to see. I was out because it was a Friday night game. I was out watching uh, my niece in the musical uh, in the musical School of Rock. So I did not get to see this one. So tell me all about Louisville and Georgia Tech in Atlanta. Well, first of all, love School of Rock. Really fun. Uh, Louisville, Georgia Tech, two programs that were rebuilding, that are rebuilding uh, some new head coaches there. And Louisville looked good. I, I've got to say, uh, Jack Plummer, their quarterback, not to be confused with Jake Plummer, uh, he had he went 18 for 31, 247 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, they the, Again, the, the Cardinals look good. Jawar Jordan was their leading running back with uh, 96 yards and a touchdown on just seven carries. Plummer also had 51 yards on the ground. It was a pretty solid back and forth game. Louisville, though, come fourth quarter, they ran away with it. They were down 28-23 going into the fourth. And then with the last few minutes, they were up 39-28. to Louisville looking like the better of two rebuilding programs. Brent Key still with a lot of work to do at Georgia Tech. All right, what's the chaos rating on this one? Chaos rating for that one, it wasn't too high. I would go with a a 28. Okay, we're getting progressively lower after the high of that Colorado and TCU game. All right, I, hopefully I can get us a little bit higher on this next one. And this was a Big Ten battle, Minnesota versus Nebraska. Now you look at that, you're like, those two teams did a chaotic game. Not only was it chaotic, but it was a low-scoring defensive chaotic as Minnesota won 13-10. It was 3-0 at halftime. Why is this game chaotic when there is no scoring? Well, Nebraska's only touchdown came on kind of a botched trick play. The quarterback Jeff Sims pitched the ball to running back Anthony Grant. Then Sims rolled out to the left. Grant throws the ball back to him. It was backwards, although in real time I thought it was forwards. Sims, a quarterback, did not catch it. But what did he do? He almost dribbled the ball, Corey. It was almost like a basketball dribble. It comes back up into his hands, and he throws a touchdown pass to Alex Bullock, who was completely wide open because everybody thought, one, it was a dropped pass, but also they were coming up to try to see if they were, if the quarterback was going to run with the ball. And it put Nebraska up 7-3. to three. So you're thinking, okay, like, we got a little bit of a game here. Nebraska finally gets on the board. It's fine. But with only 2.30 left, Nebraska is up 10-3. to three. Minnesota has the ball. Go for quarterback. Ethan Kaliak Manis throws an absolutely unbelievable ball. They're on the 20-yard line. He's on the right hash. He throws the ball all the way across the field to the left side of the end zone. And wide receiver Daniel Jackson, I don't know if you've seen this play, Corey. It was an absolutely incredible catch. In real time, you're like, there's no way he got his foot down. He's falling out of bounds. But on replay, actually, they called it a touchdown live. He got his foot down. It wasn't even all that close. That tied it up at 10. Then with a minute left, Nebraska is in plus territory, just inside the 50, and Sims throws an interception, and that leads to Minnesota hitting a walk-off 47-yard field goal. I don't know how much Nebraska football you've watched over the years, Corey, but this is a new coach, but it is still the same old Nebraska. They find ways to lose games that they should win. They've lost so many one-score games over the last few seasons, most of those obviously with Scott Frost at the helm. Now with Matt Rule, seems like same old, same old. So this one was crazy. Did you see much of this one at all? I, I got to see the last half of the fourth quarter, and man, I tuned into the best part of it. I got to skip some of the, the slow and unimpressive offensive drives earlier in the game, and then, man, that 
touchdown catch. Can we just appreciate for a moment that college football, you only need one foot in instead of two? Because so in the NFL, better. that would not count as a catch. And that deserved to be a touchdown. That was an incredible reception in the end zone. And then as you were saying, Matt, Nebraska is Nebraska. It doesn't matter if it's Scott Frost, <laughs> Matt Rule. I feel deeply sorry for all the Cornhuskers out there. But man, that last offensive drive from Nebraska... I think everyone kind of knew that it wasn't going to happen, but to end in that interception, oh, just a tough way to end. Yet again, Nebraska loses by a one-score margin. Might be another long season for them. Yeah, I'm going to go with a chaos rating of 62 on this one. Like we said, boring first half, but the second half certainly made up for it. All right, let's go. Let's go with a game that you watched as well. Probably not as exciting. You've got some other exciting ones coming up. But give me give me your thoughts on West Virginia and Penn State. This used to be a rivalry in your neck of the woods, but they have not played since 1992, which I guess you can blame on the Big Ten. But what happened between the Mountaineers and the Nittany Lions? Well, this one it was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty rough watch for me. I got to be honest. You can call this the. The enemy of my enemy is my friend bowl because these two programs have one thing in common. They both hate Pitt and Pitt hates both of them. And so it was weird for a lot of Pitt fans to talk about my neck of the woods. People weren't exactly sure who to root for, who they hated more, who they hated less. It was interesting. But on the field, it wasn't too close. West Virginia actually did keep it close for the first half. At halftime, it was 14 to 7. Now, it should have probably been 20 to 7. The Penn State kicker did miss two field goals. That's going to be something to watch moving forward because you talk about chaos. Missed field goals, college kickers, that can provide chaos. But once they got into the fourth quarter, Penn State started to run away with it. The final score, 38-15, to 15, although that was a garbage time touchdown from Penn State with the backups in. For most of it, toward the end, it was 31-15. to 15. All said, Penn State looks good. West Virginia, especially offensively, does not. Uh, I'm going to say a chaos rating of... 16 at halftime. Like I said, it was still interesting, but for the most part, Penn State just a much better team than West Virginia. And uh, yeah, two interesting programs, again, sort of united by a common hatred with Pitt in the mix. I wish they all played each other. I wish Pitt, West Virginia, Penn State were all in the same conference playing each other. Unfortunately, not the case. It was still definitely a fun game to watch. Yeah. All right, let's run through some other scores here. Number 11, Texas beat Rice 37 to 10. This one was another one that was fairly close early on. Quinn Ewers went for 260 yards. I don't know that people feel super great about that, um, but they did end up winning that game. Number 12, Tennessee beat Virginia 49 to 13. Virginia really wasn't in this game. Joe Milton III, uh, transfer quarterback from Michigan, now in his second year at Tennessee, went for 201 yards, but that doesn't really uh, convey how good of a day that he had. Similarly, Sam Hartman threw for 194 yards in Notre Dame's uh, defeat of FCS school Tennessee State, 56-3. He got out of there pretty quick. Oregon, and this is one, not super chaotic, but definitely one you want to keep an eye on. Number 15, Oregon, beat Portland State 81-7. to Bo Nix, 287 yards passing, got out of that game early. Number 16, Kansas State beat Southeast Missouri State 45 to nothing. Wisconsin, in Luke Fickle's first game as head coach, beat Buffalo 38 to 17. But I will say, this game was fairly close, like a lot of these in the first half. Like Ohio State, Indiana, like Penn State, West Virginia. A lot of games being close at halftime before folks figure some things out and pulled away. Then, number 20, Oklahoma beat Arkansas State 73 to nothing. 
that that's what you want in, a, in an opener, Corey. Those are the types of things that you want when your team is just getting some things figured out, especially Oklahoma coming off a, a kind of an ugly first season under first year head coach Brett Venables in 2022. All right, so let's get back into some of these games. I'm going to stick in the Big Ten here and go to Fresno State and Purdue. Now, this is a classic buy game. Purdue paid Fresno State $1.35 million to come to West Lafayette and play a good old-fashioned football game. It's one of those things where you think, all right, Fresno State's coming to the middle of Indiana. Purdue's going to get their win. They're going to give them a nice check and send Fresno State back home to California. In the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. The Bulldogs (laughs) of Fresno State beat the Purdue Boilermakers 39-35 to in an absolutely insane game, especially, again, in the second half. Coming out of halftime, Purdue was up 21 to 17. They got the ball first. They took the second half kickoff back for a touchdown to go up to 28-17. And that's when you think, okay, nice, nice to have you hang around in the first half, Fresno State. The big boys, the Purdue Boilermakers, are gonna take it from here. Nah, not how that worked. Fresno State scored the next 15 points to go up 32 to 28. Purdue then scored on an absolute bomb to retake the lead and go up 35 to 32 with just over four minutes left but their defense could not hold as Fresno State took the lead with just under a minute left to win 39 to 34 Purdue I mean we all saw the jokes on Twitter I'm assuming Purdue per don't per didn't it was not a good look Fresno State was led by quarterback Mikey Keene, who went 31 for 44 for 366 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Over on the Purdue side, uh, Texas transfer quarterback Hudson Card was fine. He was 17 of 30 for 254 yards and two touchdowns, although wide receiver Dion Burks did have 152 yards on four catches, including two touchdowns. That big bomb that I mentioned earlier went for 84 yards. So, Not a good look for the Big Ten, not a good look for Purdue, a team that was hoping to kind of contend in the Big Ten West in the final year of divisions for the conference. But if they look like that, not going to look very good. So I'm going to go with a chaos rating here of of 48 because uh, the second half was interesting. The second half was uh, was kind of enjoyable. So, So that one was fun there. All right, Corey, let's head out. I think this one, actually, I'm not sure, but did this one take place in this, the great state of Wyoming or in Texas? It did. It was in Laramie. That's what I thought. Yeah, it was in Laramie. So tell me about Wyoming and Texas Tech. Uh, this game was absolutely wild. So Texas Tech in Laramie, Wyoming for this game. Uh, you, again, you talk about a a group of five team playing a power five team. It's always fun. You want to see what the group of five team can do. And in this case, it did not disappoint. Wyoming had a phenomenal game uh, in the fourth quarter. They, they had the lead for so much of it at the very end, Texas tech gets the ball. They drive down the field just far enough to get a field goal with under a minute left to send that game into overtime tied 20 to 20. It goes into overtime. Wyoming gets the ball first. They get a touchdown. Then Texas, Tech responds then in double overtime Texas Tech gets the ball first now these new rules with double overtime you have to go for the two-point conversion if you get the touchdown in double overtime Texas Tech went for it they didn't get it and man the performance that I saw from Wyoming's quarterback Andrew Peasley it was incredible he's a senior from the state of Oregon it was miraculous so on fourth down in that second overtime 
he looks dead to rights. There's a blitz coming at him that is obvious to absolutely everyone. He is about a split second away from being pummeled with the blitz coming right up the middle. He gets rid of it just in the nick of time on fourth down in double overtime, and they find the end zone to uh, to give them a chance to win it. Again, you have to go for the two-point conversion. They go for it, and they get it. What a thrilling end to that game. Not only does Wyoming win, but they looked so good. Andrew Peasley, man, that kid has some guts to just make that play on fourth down and double overtime. It was a thrill to watch. The people in Laramie were going crazy for it. Mountain West looks pretty good this year. You talk about Fresno State, you talk about Wyoming. They are looking solid. I got to give this one a chaos rating of 74 it it ah, was a fun go. game yeah it was a fun game it's up there it was really exciting it happened late oh you know what i'm going to amend it i'll give it another 5.79 because there was a lightning delay earlier in the game uh. so the game ended up ending past midnight on the uh, east coast i believe because the game wasn't uh it was meant to to be played earlier they had to stop it for a lightning delay i'm gonna go 79 this game was a lot of fun doesn't get much more chaotic than lightning strikes. So uh, love that one. Love that one. All right. Talking about another school that pulled an upset that many people did not think that they could. Texas State went to Waco and beat Baylor in fairly convincing fashion. Texas State won 42 to 31. So Texas State's Joey Hobart made... This is one of the reasons why I think this is a, a very interesting chaotic game. He made one of the best one-handed catches that I think I've seen in a long time. It was a 31-yard touchdown pass across the field. He's falling out of bounds. It's one of those one-handed catches where, like, you have to wonder either, A, does he have, like, a bunch of stickum on his glove, or is he, in fact, Spider-Man? Because he's <laughs> falling out of bounds. The ball just sticks to his hands. He gets his feet down. I think he might have actually gotten both feet down, though. And he just falls out of bounds. In real time, I thought there was no way that he actually made that catch. But it was one of the best catches catches of the day. Don't know if it'll be the, like up there with the best catches of the season, but it is certainly one that you should check out. Then with four minutes left, Baylor is going in to score. They're down 42-31. to 31. They're inside the 10-yard line, maybe around the 6 or 7. They throw a pass goes right through the hands of the Baylor wide receiver and into the diving DB's arms for an interception that essentially iced the game 42-31 to in favor of Texas State. This one really wasn't super close throughout. Texas State was up 28-13 to going into halftime, and they just kind of maintained that throughout the second half. Their quarterback, TJ Finley, which interestingly enough, I went to grade school with a guy named TJ Finley. I do not think it's the same guy. Um, he would have... Would not have much eligibility left if he was, but he was 22 for 30 for 298 yards and three touchdowns. Just a really solid day. I have to imagine that this is the biggest win in Texas State football history. They've only been an FBS school for like the past decade. So really great for them. Lots of not good things happening for Big 12 Texas schools on on Saturday, Corey. Yeah, be, yeah between... Texas Tech between Baylor. It, it's just, it's not looking good for them right now. No. Dave Aranda, I don't know what's going on there. He was so incredibly close to the playoff in 2021 
They ended up finishing the season ranked fifth in the country. Then last year, he goes six and seven, four and five in the Big 12. This year, off to a horrendous start. Next week, they've got Utah. That doesn't look like it's going to be much of a game. I don't know. Dave Aranda might be, that seat might be getting kind of warm. Things not looking too great at Baylor, and uh, I, I'm I'm happy for Texas State. That's a really cool victory. Yeah, apparently uh, covering up horrendous crimes does not put you on the hot seat. Losing to Texas State, maybe it does at Baylor. We will have to see. I, I, I cannot say that I'm too upset to see Baylor struggling no. because of some of those things you mentioned. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's run through a couple scores here real quick before we dive into our final chaos game of the day. Number 22, Ole Miss beat up on Mercer 73-7. to Texas A&M did fairly well because they're not in the Big 12, but they are a Texas school. Beat up on New Mexico 52-10. to Number 24, Tulane beat South Alabama 37-17. to Iowa, number 25 Iowa beat Utah State 24-14. to Why is this interesting and why is this something that a lot of people are probably going to be looking forward to? Whew, talking about Nepo babies earlier, Corey. <laughs> the offensive coordinator of Iowa is Brian Ferentz. He is the son of head coach Kirk Ferentz. Their offense last season was absolutely god-awful. So much so that they worked into his contract that for him to get an extension, they have to average 25 points per game this year. Will that happen? Not looking good if you're only beating Utah State by uh, uh, 24 to 14. We'll see what happens moving forward. Although Utah State did look pretty good. They were, a, they were certainly game for that one. I got to say, it's it's so sad that you're in a situation where the head coach doesn't want to fire his son. So you have to build it into the contract that he's got to meet a threshold of points scored. It's it's not looking good for not Iowa's good offense. Not a good look. Not a good look there whatsoever. Kentucky beat Ball State 44 to 14. SMU, future ACC member, beat Louisiana Tech 38 to 14. A game from your neck of the woods, your conference of choice, Corey, that I thought about putting in the chaos games. But Northern Illinois from the MAC beat Boston College 27 to 24 in overtime. Hot seat, not looking good for Jeff Halfley there. Very much could be on the hot seat up there in Boston. He might not make it through the season. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Former Ohio State defensive coordinator. Wish he would have stayed another year, but that's another story. Houston beat UTSA 17 to 14 in what for now is going to be the last time that these two rivals play for the time being. We'll see what happens in the future. Oklahoma State beat Central Arkansas 27 to 13. Illinois holds on to beat Toledo 30 to 28. Virginia Tech beats Old Dominion 36 to 17. Those were the Saturday games. The other Sunday games Oregon State, number 18, beat San Jose State, 42-17. And Rutgers beat up on Northwestern, 24-7. All right, the last chaos game of the day, Corey. I'm going a little bit off the board here. This is the game between Virginia State and Norfolk. Did you see much of this one, if anything, at all? I did not. Please tell me about it. Okay, so Norfolk State is an FBS school. Virginia State is not. They are an FCS team. But what happens is, is Norfolk State is down three and they go for it on fourth down at the two yard line. They're stopped and Virginia State gets the ball with under a minute left. So Virginia State has a minute left. They just have to run out the clock. They run three plays, but there are still three seconds left. So on fourth down, all they have to do is run out the clock or they can take the safety. They take the safety. They're only up one point, but they can kick the ball. There's nearly no chance that Norfolk State can win that game. What do they do instead? Their quarterback decides to run it. And as the clock is running down, he runs out of bounds, except for what he doesn't realize is 
He stepped out of bounds with one second left. That means that Norfolk State can kick a field goal of like 25 yards, if that, to tie the game and send it to overtime. However, the snap on that field goal goes over the kicker's head. It is recovered by Virginia State, who runs it all the way back for a touchdown to end up winning by a score of 33 because they didn't kick the extra point to 24. An absolutely bonkers finish. D2, historically black college university, Virginia State, upsets D1, Norfolk State, in an absolutely insane, chaotic way. I'll throw the highlights from Reddit CFB in the show notes if you want to check this one out because it was fun. It was crazy. It was one of those things, Corey, where you're like, There's a couple different ways that you can handle this situation with only a few seconds left and you need to do something on fourth down. And they did the absolutely wrong one. It ended up not hurting them, but man, was it weird and wacky coming down to the final whistle. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Virginia state. Good for them. What a, what a weird way to win, but, but you still take it no matter what. That's great. Yeah. I'm going to give this one a chaos rating of 70 just because it's, it's it's an HBCU beating a, a Division One FBS school on the way that they did. And adding up all of these scores, even though we had a very low-rated 16 between West Virginia and Penn State, that gives us an overall chaos rating for week one of the college football season of 519. I think, like you said at the beginning, Corey, not going to be the highest, not going to be the lowest, but something that will probably be a standard, a good a good standard to look at and compare the rest of the season to. Uh, yeah, I think that's a pretty solid score. Just go I wasn't even thinking about the overall score, just more individual, and then as it turns out, I think it ends up right around where I would say this college football weekend should. There were some incredible uh, chaotic games, there were some that were decent overall. Yeah, this seems to be about an average weekend, and all things considered, When you talk about college football, this is an average weekend. That's why we love this sport, because even with all this Mm -hmm. crazy stuff happening, that weekend was about average when it comes to chaos. I think we're going to get some better weekends coming up. All right. I I didn't prep you for this, so I don't know if you have an answer or not. But looking to week two, give me a prediction on what you think will be the most chaotic game in week two. That's a tough one. Okay, some of these could be interesting. All right, so Iowa versus Iowa State. Now, that's a rivalry. El Asico is always an interesting one. <laughs> Any chance you've got a rivalry, uh, that's, I love the nickname El Asico. I think, uh, you know, that Iowa offense is dreadful. I don't know how exciting it's going to be because watching Iowa football is like getting teeth pulled, but I do think that could be pretty chaotic. Ole Miss at Tulane, that could be really fun. I think that might be the chaos game of the week. Texas versus Bama, I think that might have to take the title. Stanford USC could be a fun one. I'm going to go, I know this is cliche, I'm going to go Texas versus Bama, but I I kind of sneakily like Ole Miss versus Tulane. That could be a really fun game. Yeah. I think Cincinnati Pitt, I know I, I'm a little selfish, that could be kind of nuts. But I'm, I'm going to say Texas-Bama right now. But I, I, there also could be a game that comes out of nowhere and surprises us. I'm I'm going to go. I'm surprised you didn't go with this one because both of these teams made our top 10 chaos games this week. It is the big noon kickoff on Fox. Oh, of course. I'm going with the Cornhuskers visiting the Buffs. 
We'll see if Coach Prime can keep this up. The, the Nebraska defense looked really good. So it'll be yeah. kind of, it'll be strength on strength. Of course, Nebraska has nothing on offense, so who knows what that'll be. But I, I, I can't imagine this game not being bonkers just based on storylines alone. You're right. I completely forgot about that. And you know what? I, I've got to put all my money in on Nebraska losing by one score. I mean, forget one score. I want it to be one point on a walk-off Hail Mary from Shador Sanders to Travis Hunter yeah. just because and make it like nine to three and or a nine to hell make it nine to four give me two give me two safeties to make it even more chaotic <laughs> and so they hit the touchdown to go up by one uh absolutely nuts uh I will certainly be tuned into that one We appreciate you listening to our maiden voyage here. If you want to follow along on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at fans first SN. You can follow me on pretty much any social media platform at BWW Matt. Corey, do you, do you want people to follow you on social media? By all means. Yeah. You can follow me at Corey E Cohen, C O R E Y E C O H E N uh, on Twitter. You can also follow pit talk network on Twitter. Uh, you can also find me on blue sky now and uh or threads yeah just search for Corey cohen you should be able to find me and uh yeah really excited to to continue to grow this yeah i uh i'm also on all of those other platforms but i'm way too old to, to learn new social media platforms so like i've got blue sky i got an invite i'm on the threads i'm on the instagram but like i don't that's just so much to learn Corey. <laughs> i don't know yeah that i I got to be honest, on Saturday, I wanted to sort of spread it around between the different social medias, but when it comes to watching games, I, I was still live tweeting. It, it, I, I'd like people live to migrate. X-ing? It hasn't happened yet. Live Xing, I guess. I don't oh, know. I don't scary. care what he says. I'm still calling it Twitter. I was live tweeting, and uh, until people migrate, I'll be on there rambling about whatever I'm watching on Saturdays. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you next week.